You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. <laughs> oh, whoa. Hey. <laughs> Come on back, Andy. Come on back. Did you see I even bought a prop so you could pretend I was out here fishing? <laughs> You're totally faking us out. <laughs> What's happening, guys? Not much. I where let's let's uh discuss where the heck you are. Well, I'm uh thought I'd um let you guys have a little insight as to where I come up and play. Up on Lake Ida in Alexandria, um, our good friend Greg is one of our regulars from up here, and yeah, just uh, snuck out of the office a couple days early for the Fourth of July and um, do some networking meetings up here. Networking, huh? With little fishies. Yeah. yeah hey, you got, sure. got it. You got to get away. It's really well, weird. You can still work. You know, that's the crazy part, Chris. I think you and I both know that is it's uh, the. Um, Ability to have technology. Well, just like right now, I'm literally sitting on my phone in my boat. Um, Nick's in Italy. You're in Prior Lake. And, and here we're broadcasting live, which is crazy and fun and exciting all at the same time. Yeah, that is, that is neat. And I'll tell you what, that's one thing I think little COVID uh, did for us. It, it did find us uh, different ways in which to be able to uh, get our business done. And understanding that, you know, we don't have to be holding each other's hands right next to each other, that we do have communication that we can uh, we can work with. I tell you, I've been working uh, on a theory because I wanna do, I, I don't know about you, Andy, but I can come, I, I have much better uh, clarity and uh, my creativity really flows when I'm out doing or inspired by different things. Um, I use Buffalo Wild Wings a lot. You know, we've talked about that. I because I like the stimulation, all the TVs and the action going on, and I can study that way. But I've been working on um, trying to list houses without even going ever going to the house. And uh, you can do that with what technology we have today by sending in a Matterport right at the beginning, being able to look it over. I mean, I'll be able to see that house a lot better than, you know, um, I would even be walking through it because I can see every little inch of it. And then, but yet be inspired to be able to come up with the best, marketing for that property well i mean that's ultimately what we're hired for is property and representation of that and identifying where to market and i think that the human side of our business sometimes can get us distracted you know because you're doing the niceties of you know uh you know how are you today oh what a cute puppy all the things that happen when you go to a house sometimes mm -hmm. and uh it you know it's not that it's bad because i think it's good rapport is everything because when you are working with people you like that's that's obviously important but on the other hand you're, you're right chris we do have um some better focus when we're put into a different arena sure how about this arena in rapport <laughs> hey andy do, do you notice anything different about me today versus uh this was just at my daughter's graduation party uh yeah, yeah on sunday that was awesome by the way great food Oh, you lost your stash. Yep. Nice. Yep. I did it for the show today. It'll grow back tomorrow. There'll be no worries. 
what uh what did you have some kind of a deal where you're going to wear that until the graduation party and then let it go or what no i don't know i just decided i woke up and i decided to do it so gotcha. Much Let's more start what's happening in the market market boy we got some uh we got some different things uh happening uh quite a bit it's usually a weird time nick in the market when it comes to fourth of july uh we tend to kind of shy away from it and it's usually the week before the week after are pretty slow and sometimes i mean in, in past years it almost took the whole month of july uh to be able to kind of get past it and uh into august almost sometimes into september the market would just really cool down um we're going to take advantage of a couple different lake homes that we've got coming on uh this weekend by doing a coming soon and then uh go ahead and list them live on the market next week but with being on a, on water and uh fourth of july uh you know using the lake i think it's uh kind of an important marketing thing to be able to do that for sure yeah you know i think the same chris uh you know i've been watching this last week here um there's been a bunch of uh live webinars from um this company that i i use for a, a customer follow-up system called uh boomtown and they had on there the national association of realtors economists and it was really an interesting uh play on where the market they were talking about how we're heading back into more of a traditional or what they call seasonal uh you know estate selling season and we're going to be um in a position of where um the, the lower inventory um but they're guessing that values are starting to um curve they're not softening they, they reiterated, you know, 38% nationally. Uh, houses across the U.S. are paid for free and clear. Um, they said that there was another 36% of houses beyond that that have what they call significant equity, which was over 50%. So they said what's happening is there's there's a lot of equity in the marketplace. There's a lot of people that have a lot of money in their homes. Um, there's almost zero fear of another bubble bursting, per se. But what they think will happen is that it'll it'll curtail a little bit here with interest rates. Um, if interest rates rise, they said then budgets will just soften, which means the more attractive priced houses will sell, which inevitably means that they, they could see a correction of pricing, but that the demand will still be solid. The, um, you know, so it's it's an interesting thing. That the next three years or more, um, they, they're projecting the market to be tight. So there you go. Well, I hope uh, I, th I think you're right, though, too. Uh, we're this whole market thing. I mean, I get it. I can't tell you. Last night I got it asked to me again. Are, are we going to are we going to burst here? And I just I don't see it. I do see it. Um, like, what did you call it, Andy? Curving a little. Yeah, um, the, the, the curve of the values. They, they're like projecting um, this Lawrence Yen, um, I believe is his name, um, was was quoting uh, recorded being saying they're looking at around 3% appreciation next year versus they've seen kind of a 12% on average this year already. And a lot of that's because what will happen is the appraisals will start catching up with um, the offers. So prices will continue to appreciate. But right now there's a lot of times where people have that extra money. They're bidding more than what the house is worth. They're doing what they call appraisal caps um, insurance to the, to the seller where they, are ensuring the gap between what it appraises for, what it sells for, but that that there's only so much in the marketplace that can do that for so long, and then eventually you get back down to the three and a half percent down FHA buyer that um, is saving everything they can to just get into the, the house. 
So that, that buyer may not be able to offer that same assurity to a seller. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, what people are going to have to do again, uh, and not a, a lot of people are, and the ones that are, are getting the multiple offers and getting it way over list price, but is to make your house more turnkey. A lot of people, you yep. know, say, oh, you don't, you know, and they hear everything. Oh, you don't have to do nothing to your house and it's going to sell. True, but you're not going to maximize it. I mean, houses are selling um, that aren't that great, but uh, we just had a listing that had 41 showings and we got one offer on that. You know, we had uh, another one uh, that I'm going to be uh, participating in here uh, to there tomorrow, but they had nine showings and they have six of those people writing an offer. So, um, you know, it, it just depends kind of what you do and uh, what price point you're at. But it is, uh, you know, I think people are going to maybe that we're sitting on the sidelines a little are going to get back into the market, though, you yeah. know, because there, there is stuff that, you know, it's, it's not just going the first day. I mean, you're starting well, to see people, stuff on Monday and Tuesday now. Well, and Chris, I mean, how many years have we prepared a market analysis for a seller and said, you know, it's a 30-day market or a 60-day market? Um, you know, of course, if we get it sold earlier, great, but that's the, you know, statistics of what's out there. And and so what's been happening, too, is, you know, like right now we're going into a, you know, a five to 10-day selling cycle. And it's like, oh, my God, it, it just, it's so slow right now. Oh, my God, panic, panic, panic. I'm like. 10 years ago, if you would have said we'd sell your house in five days, you'd be doing backflips off the dock into the water. You know what I mean? You got to be patient. And I think that's our job, too. Is, you know, we got to, I mean, that's what kind of the show's about, too. Yeah. I mean, it's educating people and, and kind of letting them know what's what's happening today, not in a month that you're going to find out in the paper after they kind of did some stats from three months ago. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I think that for sure. Pricing your house correctly now, even though it's a hot market, is really important. Um, not to be foolish and or greedy, piggy or whatever you want to say. And you know, if your house is worth six hundred, the market will get you there. I've always said this because the if it's really worth that, that's where the the price will take it, or the appraisal will correct it. And you know, so it's like if if it's a, um, I, I always say go in with a smart strategy, like Chris was saying. You you right now um, more so than ever have your house turnkey ready maybe even update it a little bit. You know, you can, without spending a ton of money, updating some hardware, doing some things, making, you know, like I look at your graduation party, Chris, that, that is the ultimate get ready to sell your house kind of situation where you put all the, the, the last minute, you know, fingernail polish on everything to make it look pretty, you know, for your party. That's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. if you get clowns like this, it'll wreck your yard. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, anyway, so you know what I'm saying though? I think that there's, just being ready, being prepared, pricing it fair, and then marketing the living, you know, heck out of it so that you do get that demand because I'm starting to see some buyer fatigue and the buyers are just worn out. So thank God there's fresh buyers coming into the market every day. You know, somebody just had the best day of their life, got the biggest promotion they've ever had, just got the biggest bonus they've ever gotten before. And and now they're out and ready to spend that money. And I, I've had to learn that over the years. Somebody's having the worst day. Somebody's having the best day. So we got to get you out there, push you, and find that right buyer. Another thing that happened was the CDC extended the residential eviction ban for another month. What do you guys think of this? I, I found this, a discussion on Reddit about this, and a lot of people are calling it like unconstitutional because people, this is their private property and they can't even, you know, have people move out of it. It's kind of like Go ahead, Andy. I just said. It reminds me of being in a communist country where you don't have control of your own assets, but I'm just saying. 
I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm part of that right now. And I've got, uh, uh, I've, I've left two uh, on a fourplex. I've left two of the uh, units empty and I've got two people that are totally able to pay and won't pay. Right. That's the biggest joke in the world. And, uh, and we can't do a damn thing about it. And they're doing things um, that they would be kicked out 50 times over normally. And it's, it's wrong. It's, it's so wrong that the, the, they're doing this and, and they're acting like, and I'm sure there is some situations where people, Hey, okay, it's bad. It's bad news. You know, help them out. But it's, it's wrong. I mean, it's, it's cost me thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to just sit and wait for them to uh, decide to pay and they're working and they have good jobs. And then they're all, oh, I'm bringing a dog in. Oh, I'm going to let people stay over. And you can't do nothing about it. Oh, I'm going to smoke. I'm going to have drugs. Oh, that's great. Yeah, go right ahead. Ruin my house. I mean, it's it's getting, it's, can you tell I really like this idea? Well, no, you know, but here's what I would say. I think that instead of just having blanket statements, because we all know how that works, you know, um, when they say, yep, just don't evict anybody. Well, that, that problem with that is, is that, you know, everybody will take advantage of that opportunity then. And that's exactly what I think you're experiencing, Chris, where, People have the ability to pay. Now, in, in my perfect government, people that have been not paying and then on their tax return show that they had income that could support that should be penalized and charge back that that rent if they have been making income. You know, not, I'm not popular with my response with that. Or on the other hand, you take it where you say, listen, individual applications of where the government will step in and subsidize their individual rent based on an application they filled out where they can prove that they can't pay. That's different. I mean, that that's them helping them out. This blanket, you know, slap in the face of anybody that's a landlord um, is the way most people are taking it that have you know rental properties. And that's why a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh. Well, good luck with rentals because rentals now are all going to get jacked up. So just so you know, so those of you that are voting for that to say, yep, keep supporting this, what will happen is it's the rule um, where those that have will, will make the rules. And so now they're going to have to say, well, Last year, we didn't get paid, so we have to up our rent to cover last year's taxes, last year's maintenance. Even if we don't make any money, we have to raise prices. So guess what's going to happen to your rent, everybody? It's going to go up 10 to 15%. Everybody's going to go crazy over this, and they're going to be like, we don't care. This is the cost now based on the environment we're in that it costs us to provide rental properties to the consumer. California is talking about um, the government paying the, the landlords through uh, tax money. So the other people who are working are going to get taxed and have to get paid. That's how the landlords are getting paid. Well, I think that's the funny thing. I mean, or it's not the ironic thing is they think all these rich, rich landlords don't need the money. And let's, let's, let's help all these people out. It's not the landlords, you know, they're not big for the most part. Now there's some that are coming in. We're going to talk about them later, but for the most, there's a lot of people that own onesie twosies type things. And, uh, you know, they, they've worked their butt off to be able to kind of take care of these properties and they're just getting destroyed and, you, you know, and they're not making any money and then they can't upkeep them. I mean, it's just a, it's a horrible thing. And just the, if people are able to pay, they should be paying. And and I'll tell you what, I'll do everything I can to be able to. I mean, it's wrong. It's it's right. so wrong. And, and Andy's right. You're going to turn around and. Um, you know, charge them. Hey, if I'm going to rent it, if I'm going to have if me having someone in there not paying, it's much better than having no one in there. And I'll just go visit my my uh, vacant place instead. And if someone is going to rent it, they're going to pay a heck of a lot more money. To well, be able to do it. In the past, even think about your kids. So if you have somebody that owes money and they're having hard times, 
You see, I tell you what, why don't we right now, while you're still working and going to school, let's split it, you know? So let's split the cost of that that car payment or that insurance payment or whatever it is. And, and it still keeps a person vested in what they're doing. I think it's a huge mistake to completely just say you, you don't have to pay rent and don't worry about it. There's no consequences. And I, I think that the problem is, is that, again, it just it leaves us subjective to abuse. That's it. I mean, I mean, I've, we've all fallen on our knees before. We've all had troubles. And I'm, I'm sure it feels wonderful for those that need it. But on the other hand, I don't think the ramifications of what they think they're doing are going to outweigh the benefits because what will end up happening is at the end of the day, the prices are going to go up. So I don't know if you've ever gone out to eat, but I'll tell you what, it takes a heck of a lot longer to get any food because they don't have anyone serving it. And I'll tell you one thing. I was watching this one guy last night and I was asking him how much money he was making in tips. I was at working again at Buffalo Wild Wings, you know. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, that kid is making 250 bucks a night in tips plus his whatever 11 bucks an hour. I mean, there's a lot of money out there to be made, and but people are just choosing not to do it too. So, yeah, whatever. All right, we're gonna go into Rooney's rant about um, how, hard, how hard agents work, even though we have Andy on the boat on the on a Thursday, relaxing. Hi. <laughs> so let's get into it. All right. I don't uh, I don't necessarily think agents work all the time, but I think people do need to realize that we have to work when we're not showing and doing things. Um, and a lot of times what happens is that we're working all day long and then we have to go show at night. And uh, and then, you know, you get your calls at 1030 and, you know, you have to get this thing done. And there's uh, many, 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 many days. And this it's the it is what the business is. I mean, we, we deal with it all the time. But um, I think uh, where it used to be, I was always very nervous. You know, if I was on a, like I had a Wednesday and I didn't have a lot of stuff going on or maybe not many appointments. And I would just, hey, I'm going to get in shorts and I'm going to head out and I'm going to just kind of enjoy the day. And I'd almost like go to a different area in which to be able to do it because I didn't want people to think I wasn't working. Um, but realtors work uh, a lot of times. Now I, I totally take it and enjoy it and take advantage of it and maybe work a heck of a lot smarter. But, uh, you know, we, uh, I think the days of, uh, you know, jumping every time someone wanted to go see something and like Andy right now, you know, I mean, he has the right to go out on a vacation and yeah, he might be talking on the phone, but if he's going to jump in his car and come back to the city to be able to show two houses, um, you know, we have the ability to be able to have other people help us with that as well. Well, you know, and also start, you know, kind of in a fun way, try to have fun with the show too here. So we're showing, you know, fun backgrounds. And if we're traveling, we, we like to have fun with it. But I think everybody knows that knows us how, how hard we work. And, you know, I'm up this morning, uh, 6.15 on the dock, taking my first call. You know, being that I, I have a new construction side of my business, everybody gets in the office and they call me before they get out on the road. So, you know, I'm taking those calls. I'm also taking their calls at the end of the day when everybody's coming home from work, which is fine. I mean, it's just, you know, we put ourselves into positions of where during the middle of the day, there's times where I can have play, but generally the early part of the morning, late part of the day, and then the constant being available 24 hours. Because when something happens, it's almost like we're the 911 operator. Like, what do we do next? How do we handle this? How do we attack this? And that's okay. I mean, I think everybody that I know that's in this business and enjoys it um, loves to be the person that they come to. I enjoy and thrive 
excitement of here's the challenge, how do we fix it? And then having the gratification of knowing that we can and getting out there and getting it done. Now for agents that are starting out that are taking every call and working all the weekends, how can they take control of their time and, and not get into the crazy um, running around world that most agents get into? I think, I think there's a uh, part of that is kind of uh, how you grow up in the business as well. And you got to figure out your own path. I remember mine, Nick, and you probably don't, but uh, when, when mine happened was that Nick turned five years old and it was his birthday party. And I came about an hour and a half late and uh, my family's full of realtors and everyone looked at me like it was no big deal. Like it was, that was just normal. And I'm like, no, that will never happen again. And from that point forward, and Nick can attest to this, I put their stuff on my schedule first and then I, I worked around it. Now at the beginning, I kind of would lie uh, to clients and say, hey, you know what? I've got another appointment uh, going on. And all of a sudden someone saw me at Dairy Queen after one of my games, you know, and it was like, oops, I said, and then, then I started saying, you know what? Hey, it, it, I, my kid has a game. Um, my kid has a practice. My kid has a birthday party. And I can do it either at this time or this time. And people had zero problem with it at all. But I think it's kind of you as an agent coming through. And it's something I'll, I'll never regret. Yeah, you, you got to take care of what's important. I mean, we, we have a, um, a declaration of greatness letter that we make, everybody on our team write, that talks about spirituality, family, um, balance, um, their goal, you know, goals for their career, financial goals. You know, all those things go on to uh, in, in, into the equation. And then we design their business around what's important first. So, you know, if you're a, a young single person like like Nick is referencing, where you're brand new to the business, you don't have a lot of family commitments, you might be able to run seven days a week, 10 hours a day if you and happy with that and then run for three weeks and then take a week off or whatever, whatever it takes. Um, on the other hand, I, I found that there is a real hard um uh, there's a lot of tempting in this business. There's a lot of, you know, Hey, it's the middle of the day. I could move some things around and, and go golfing, or I could move some stuff around and, and go fishing or I could whatever. So there's a lot of tempting that's there. And you do have to be a very disciplined individual to get into this business. And I think the problem with a guy like Chris is he's too disciplined in cases where he's too dedicated. And then all of a sudden you start to, you dive into that dedication and that drive that he has for his clients and then what ends up happening is there's there's consequences for every action we make. So in this industry, what I would suggest is that you, you figure out what's important to you first. You fill your calendar with what's important to you first. And then you decide if you can and, and handle a real estate career. Because real estate is, I'll be right in the middle of grilling steaks and somebody will call me and say, hey, 911, I need to call right away. This, this happened on an inspection and the deal's falling through. And I literally will grab the steaks, I put them on the tray, and I'll take that call and I'll answer that call. And if you're not that kind of individual, I would say, you know, this maybe isn't the perfect business for you. But, you know, it, it can be a lot of fun and stressful. So um, if you're a hard worker and you like technology, I think real estate can be a great business. Beautiful. Let's get into the, the topic at hand. This has been making its way around the Internet about this company called BlackRock. They are an asset management group. They have eight 9.01 trillion in assets underneath them. And uh, there's a lot of stories going around of them buying up whole neighborhoods or single family homes to rent out to people. There was this viral Twitter thread that happened recently 
that I have screenshots here. I'd like to get your guys' opinions on these big pension funds buying up a ton of property, 20 to 50% over asking price. Ready? Ready. Okay. BlackRock is buying every single family home house they can find, paying 20 to 50% above asking price and outbidding normal home buyers. Why are corporation pension funds and property investment groups buying entire neighborhoods out from under the middle class? Let's take a look. Homes are popping up on MLS and going under contract within a few hours. BlackRock, among others, are buying up thousands of new homes and entire new neighborhoods. Let's stop there. Have you guys been seeing this? Have you, Andy? I haven't. Uh, I haven't got it here. In 2012, um, you know, uh, Warren Buffett had a company that you know, which was a shell company um, that was out there, and they were buying upwards of 12 to 18 percent of the houses being sold in 2012 in the Twin Cities metro area. They went under H1 uh, name or H2, um, which was uh, what is I don't remember what the name of their company was, but basically what they were doing is buying houses taking advantage of the market. They were going to be renting the houses out, riding the appreciation train up and, and they were, but they were very specifically buying in certain school districts. So they weren't just buying randomly anywhere. They were buying in very intentional, you know, areas where the, the school districts were great. Um, and, and so here's what I would say to you. You don't have to sell to somebody just because they make you an offer. Um, those neighborhoods must've had something going on or everybody in that neighborhood was okay with selling because the price was so good. And hey, God bless America. You know, what I mean that—that's the way that that, that works. Um, unfortunately, um, they wrote that text or that tweet as a victim of that they're just taking over and they're forcing us to sell. Well, I'll tell you what—we've all been downtown where that little house is left between the two skyscrapers, and they decide not to sell. Um, you, th there's no government entity behind them, so there's really no way to force you to. Sell. Um, other than, you know, make you miserable if they rip all the houses down except for yours, you know, or something, but. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, I think a lot of times we get uh, these conspiracy theories and, and uh, things happening with BlackRock. I, I, I would love to see the actual numbers uh, and of what they're buying. I'm just, I, I'm not feeling it from a, a personal standpoint in our listings. We do quite a few of them. And I, I just haven't felt it here in Minnesota yet. That's not to say it's not happening in other places. And um, but it's, I mean, obviously there's something concerning about that if, if they're truly paying twenty percent over what anyone else is paying. And I mean, that's hard to turn away if you're you're oh. a seller. But all of a sudden, one person owns the whole town. That's a little interesting. Chris, you and I used to get approached back in our CCO days. We had these um, guys that were in, in charge of investing hedge fund money, and they would come to us asking us for any kind of medical buildings, apartment buildings, and, and they would say, hey, listen, we're looking for this percentage of return. Um, we have to invest $5 million a week um, into the marketplace or that money we just paid out of our pocket. So these pension funds are, are there's a lot of retired people that are being you know paid a paycheck off those funds. And so they're just looking for other avenues to invest that money to probably diversify the portfolio because maybe they're scared of, having everything in the stock market or everything in technology or wherever they're invested. And this is just one more um, area that they can invest into that will give them a return on the money. So even if they pay more for the property, it's the rental income that's coming in that they can disperse to their shareholders that I believe would be the attraction in that, in that situation. All right, let's keep going. There's a couple more uh, screenshots here. Yeah. As an example, 
124 new home neighborhood was bought up in its entirety in Texas. Average Americans were outbid to a tune of 32 million. Homes sold at an average of 20% above listing. Now the entire neighborhood is made up of SFRs. What are SFRs? Single family rentals. Single family rentals. Now your potential lower to middle class homeowner is positioned to be a permanent renter. This matters because for the lower middle class owning a home is the most major part of any financial success and future upward mobility. That's a, lot of, a lot of truth to that. <laughs> um, I mean, if they're buying, uh, that, that's interesting. If they bought every property, they probably just went in and said, hey, we're, we're buying this joint out. I mean, I mean, people are buying, you know, land and putting up apartment complexes that they own the whole, the whole thing. But I don't know if I've seen that before, buying up an entire neighborhood. Well, in the I mean, I'm sure from a management perspective, it'd be nice because then they could make all, you know, 100 rental units in one space with one office, one management team or whatever. But on the other hand, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I've, uh, Nick, seen in my experiences, at least currently, where there's there's a conspiracy takeovers happening. Um, I do see a lot of people, you know, asking like, well, I've sold all my rental properties because prices are high. But then again, it's like, what are you going to get a return on? Because I'm telling you, this is something that I'm even faced with. You know, you, 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 everybody's kind of going, oh, what's going on with the market? Usually in the fall, the stock market corrects itself a little bit. So there's a lot of people saying, hey, before the correction hits us, if there is one, um, let's diversify. Let's get into rental. Let's get into, um, you know, land acquisition, whatever. And so I think there's a lot of different opportunities that are out there. And this is just somebody diversify a portfolio, but they on such massive scale that they um, probably said, hey, it's a lot easier to, th think about this. Let me give you guys this task. Go invest a billion dollars for me by the end of the month. It's hard. That, that That's a lot of money. And then I need to have a seven or 8% cap rate or return on investment. And I'm not, I'm not saying their job is hard, but it, it probably is a challenge. So if they yeah. can go to a home builder and say, listen, I can invest a billion dollars in one neighborhood and buy everything that's for sale, um, kind of makes it easy for that acquisition manager. Hey, Andy, a couple of weeks ago, you talked about we were heading towards uh, million dollar homes and trailer parks and that yep. there's a huge divide in real estate. And I talk about the millennial generation Z not building enough wealth. We showed a graph a couple of weeks ago. And yep. one of the best ways to build wealth is through um, owning property, right? But if you stay renting, like a lot of people my age are or even the millennials, it's harder to do that, correct? Well, I mean, of course. I mean, you know, the thing is, is that I, I think that there's um, most wealth in America or a, a, bi a big portion of it has been made through real estate. And I know that we've had some turbulent times over the last probably 15, 20 years here. But here, overall, if you bought and you held and you still hold, um, usually you get money ahead, right? So, or, or like I say to my kids and their friends, I go, what if I could tell you, you could rent a place for 30 years and you'll get a write-off. And at the end of the whole process, the, the landlords are so happy that you paid rent for 30 years, they're going to give you the property and all the appreciation that was made on that house while you rented it. They go, God, that'd be great. And I go, all right, let's get you into a house. Let's get you pre-qualified because that's what it's all about. And people, oh, I don't want to make a permanent decision. Leases cut through a lot harder than, than homeownership. Homeowners are protected. There's, you know, like... Um, all different kinds of programs over the years and ways to keep you fluid um, or liquid, as they say, you know, so you can sell things and move. 
Um, leases are leases, man. You got to either negotiate out or you pay your lease. Hey, I'm Andy. So I think the point of this, we have three more photos, is that they're making it very hard for people to buy and they're overpaying for it so they can get renters. So then like you're kind of stuck and you got to keep renting. Well, let's go to the next thing. Yep. This is wealth redistribution and it ain't rich people's wealth that's getting redistributed. Jeez. Redistributed. Yep. It's normal American middle class, salt of the earth wealth heading into the hands of the world's most powerful entities and individuals. The traditional financial vehicle gone forever. Gets a little conspiracy here, but home equity is the main financial element that middle classes families use to build wealth. And BlackRock, a Federal Reserve funded financial institution, is buying up all the houses to make sure that young families can't build wealth. That's right. It's Federal Reserve funded financial institute. Let that sink in for a minute. They're using your tax dollars to blank over the lower middle class and it's permanent. Not one president administration, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you think of that? It's federally funded through the Federal Reserve. Well, I would say you're down a pretty dark rabbit hole there, my friend. But um, <laughs> the, so, are, so are we get a car loan. So are we when we go get our home loan. Um, the Federal Reserve, when they're involved, that means that there's a bank involved. So they're saying that there's an institution that has a line of credit or is using. So there's a little bit of a, I mean, no, no offense to the story, but there's a little bit of a flop. So it's either hedge fund money and there's trillions of dollars in cash sitting there. That's one way to do it. And when they say that the Federal Reserve is funding it, that's different. That means it's financed. Um, so I, I would like, you know, if we want to keep talking about the company to do more research on who and what they are, who owns them, how they're controlled. Most of these big hedge fund companies um, don't need the Federal Reserve to back them. Um, and the only time the Federal Reserve was involved with housing was when there was banks getting bailed out during the foreclosure crisis, which was because they forced banks back in the day, you know, when everybody could just fog a mirror and get a loan, the banks were forcing, feds were forcing the banks to give C&D paper out um, instead of just A paper, um, you know, to individuals that maybe were a little, uh, I don't want to say the word shady fed, but they're credit worthy. And so they bailed them out bad. So there's been deals that have been cut over the years behind the scenes where the Fed says, hey, we want more homeowners over the years. So we want to go from 62% to 68%. I believe that was under Bill Clinton that they did that. And then uh, Bush continued it. And so, I mean, this stuff's been going on for years where the they encourage banks to diversify their their uh, mortgage portfolios. Um, and then when they don't or if they fail, they, they bail them out. But let's get to the crux of the thing. And, and that is, is that it is very hard for millennials to be purchasing anything right now. Unless you have 20% down and you're willing to go over stuff, I mean, you're not getting it. And most people um, don't start out having 20% down to put in onto a house. So a lot of parents are helping these people. Um, but the other thing is, is that uh, and I've been doing this a long time on my 32nd year. And uh, I, I don't even know what percentage, but... It, a big percentage of people's wealth is in their home. It's what yep. the equity they have. They don't have extra money to be able to take out and uh, and, and buy another house. A, a lot of people don't, and and most of people's wealth is in that home. So there's a lot of there's a lot to say about you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't able to be able to do it now. Whether BlackRock is uh, you know undermining and stealing everything from us, and under who knows, but. Uh, yeah, that's just a fact. Federal, 
that that the only thing that I didn't like about that that um, article was it's basically trying to get you to believe that the government's trying to screw you, and they're trying to get in there and they're trying to you know use this fund to to buy a bunch of stuff and suppress the middle class. Which again, there's propaganda behind every you know uh, thought, I guess, if you will, with that stuff. And it here's where I'd come back to. There's a lot of great opportunities right now if you have three and a half percent of the purchase price down to go out there and make offers. Um, and as the market is cooling off, the good news here, Nick, is that you've heard us say houses are going from selling in hours to selling in days. And if you go from selling in days to selling in weeks, hopefully it doesn't go to selling months because then that a whole different kind of an economy. But when the, when the market slows down and rates and payments are still affordable, I can help families more than I can send them. Oh, you know, the, I can help. I usually can help people more than I have to tell them that I, you know what I mean? Most people are uh, capable of buying. It's just a matter of being patient with the market. The average buyer this year went from 91 days as a buyer on the market to 96 days. And that was year over year. And the market down 60% in inventory. So it is taking longer. It's taking over 90 days for a buyer to find a property. And on average, you're writing three to five offers. So yeah, it's, it's frustrating for sure. But how, how many how many of those buyers do you think, and I don't know, I don't know where these stats are, but how many buyers do you think had three and a half percent down in over the last two years? It's been under 40%. I know that. It's got to be way under that. I mean, I've never, I haven't had no three and a half percent FHA buyer forever. Well, you're a lot of the stuff, Chris, in all fairness, is exceeds the FHA limits, um, you know, and depending on the county you live in or live. Um, there are limits on FHA. So there's, it's to a point of where we're starting to see conventional um, and, and offers where I, parents, like you just said, Chris, are coming in and helping the kid make what looks like a cash offer. And then there's probably a refi 90 days down the road where the kids are refinancing and cashing the parents out. Um, that's the help, the parents helping the kids get into the properties, but not everybody has that. Not everybody has the rich parents. There's one more photo, and I know this is kind of kind of wacky, this this whole topic, but it's been making its rounds at a lot of places, especially with younger people. Uh, Carlos met, put a comment here. Do you think we'll become a nation of renters? It's already happened in some places like Germany. And I can say this. In Italy, that's all people do is rent. There's not much home ownership, and it used to be right. not quite like that. So is that where we're turning in, into the U.S. with everyone buying these homes and we're just becoming renters? majority of the whole world, Nick. And that's the same thing with Carlos. You know, um, you look at the, all the countries that are out there. A lot of people immigrated to America to have the, the opportunity to be a homeowner instead of a renter. I mean, you go over into Europe and there's like third, fourth generation renters on some of these properties. They are rental. They are owned by, you know, these huge families that own big tracts of land and own thousands of rental properties and, and are, are ruled in that kind of an environment. That's what's beautiful about the U.S., we actually have the ability for an average person to go out there, work hard, save some money, buy a property, and be an owner. That's what's that's the beautiful part about America. So when they say the homeownership dream in America is dying, that's not true. It's just that people don't know the path to get there. Okay. Andy, what about what about uh, what they're doing? What the they're doing with the moratorium on evictions? They're they're driving the normal person out of owning those properties and giving them to someone else to be able to probably buy them and then turn around and rent them. I mean, I'm 100% getting rid of my last one. I had a lot of rental units and I'm done. I mean, it was five years of it. And I mean, I, obviously I'm in real estate, but 
it just it's it's a game that you to play you either have to be real small and have only a couple or you got to be real big well and you see that's that's an attack on the quote wealthy um from your government saying you know going after in my opinion a direct attack on people that have assets that are protecting the poor so we have a controversy here of what we're talking about is kind of is um in, in um it's the opposite of what we just talked about so the the rental where they're not kicking people out or evicting people is complete opposite of saying the feds going in there and buying up neighborhoods and making everybody rent. You know what I mean? It's kind of a, I don't know. So I don't think we're going to become a nation of renters. I think we're a nation of people that um, want to kick butt and take names and they're not going to take it. And eventually people fight back and you fight back by voting different. See, I think too, the black rock buying up all those properties is quite different than your average, uh, landlord who has one or two properties too and they're trying to squeeze them out and then gobble it all up maybe but yes it's all very woo woo out there but i mean for my generation it's not that not the easiest to buy a house right now correct anyways that was that was fun let's get into uh okay let me let in, uh -huh. it is for you guys and your generation to pay your bills um right now the average buyer that is out there has an average credit score of a 760. That was the average credit score on like 78% of the files this year. So people are working hard on their credit. They're working hard on having um, a credit score that investors and, and creditors um, will actually be excited about investing into. That's so important. And I, I think that's one of the things they don't teach in school that they should really start working back on is focusing on it is important to pay your bills, pay them on time, only take bills that you can afford to pay. And, and exhibiting that you're a good credit risk. And, and that will help you tremendously when you go out in the future, you wanna start a business, you wanna rent a, you know, a building for your, your office, you wanna buy a home, all of those things. And I think that we're, we're finally getting to that point of where people are paying attention to their credit scores and it's, it's starting to reflect that way in their purchasing power. Get into the next topic, counterintuitive real estate advice. Maybe some things when you first got into business that you do completely different or things you learned in real estate class that are not quite the best advice. I know one that you got to work every single hour of the day <laughs> where that, that used to be. And the other thing I think they told realtors was that you had to do all of these different things. And I think that's a, a total lie. You do what you do good and then you'll actually do it, number one. Um, so it's example would be, um, so if you're talking to a, a, a realtor that, you know, Hey, you got to get out, you got to knock on doors, you got to make phone calls, you got to do open houses and you got to do lead systems. And that's all bull crap. You don't do it because if, if you have me knock on doors, I would never have sold a house in my life because I'm not doing it and I'm not very good at, it and I don't like it. I made three phone calls. Uh, the second day I was in real estate. I, I made three phone calls and I was done doing those too. And so I found my little niche, which was open houses and, and actually learning. And I think that's another thing that people aren't doing now because everything's online and, uh, you know, buyers are coming to you and nobody knows what they're talking about in this real estate industry. And you got to know what the heck you're signing and what your clients are signing um, and, and to protect them because there's, there's so much more to, um, real estate than just buying the house it's it's getting all the stuff ahead of time selling the house and then taking care of you after the fact and um people kind of forget about all this other stuff they just think about this little thing and they never know what they're talking about i'll tell you there's a 
I would say a majority, definitely a majority of the agents, 100% could not go through that birch screen and explain that whole thing. Well, I, I know for a fact, Chris, I deal with it all the time. I mean, I have agents that will still to today that have been in the business and they get so busy and they're writing so many offers that when they fill out these agreements, I, I'll reject an offer that comes in that doesn't have all the blanks filled out. I'm like, I'm not going to spend the time to guess what you wanted filled in that blank. So right. I send it back and say, listen, you guys want to fill out and let me know how you want all of this to be filled out. Great. We'll work with you. If not, um, we'll fill it in. We'll send it back to you, but it's not going to probably be exactly what you want. So you're right. Do they understand the context? Um, contracts are contracts. I mean, and everybody thinks that, oh, I signed it, but it doesn't matter. It does make a difference. It does make a difference how you fill those blanks out. And, you know, unfortunately, usually when you learn, um, you know, how do I benefit or how did I, you know, um, lose um, from the situation is all in how that purchase agreement was filled out. Right, let's go into our, our term of the day, debt to income ratio. Uh, well, I bet you're muted. You were muted. Now you're on. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the uh, debt to income ratio is obviously uh, how you qualify. And by based on you get a percentage of debt that you can have uh, based on your monthly income. And that's how you qualify. So let's just say that you make $10,000 a month and you have 30000 uh, or 3000 a month in debt. That's your debt to income ratio is, you know, it's 30%. Now, does that fit into uh, what you're trying to qualify for? Most likely it does. Some you can get up to 50%, sometimes over, depending on how many, what kind of assets you have. So that's add on to that, Andy. Yep. No, I, uh, income ratios are some of the best we've ever had. Um, back in the foreclosure crisis, we had the average consumer had like 43% um debt to income ratio and right now they're saying that the average consumer is around 22 percent so it's pretty pretty meaning that 22 percent of their their income goes towards their payment um which is which is very good we have some of the best by the way just to make people feel good about this we have some of the healthiest buyers we've ever seen um actually in the buying arena so when people say oh the bubble is going to burst you don't burst on any paper you don't, meaning the top of the top, you don't burst with people putting 20% down or, you know, it having that kind of investment. They, they don't fail. It, it's people fail when they have nothing in the face. When people are hundred percent on negatively amortizing loans or, you know, adjustable rate, they're saying that less than 10% of the marketplace right now is on any kind of an adjustable rate um, mortgage of any kind. Everything else is fixed, locked and at, at a ridiculously low rates. So Way, way to go, everybody. You've done a great job. It's good. Andy's proud. Andy's proud. Proud pop. I think everybody that's out there buying right now is doing a superb job. Now, those of us that are a little more challenged, I think it's our job as agents, too, as part of our careers, is that educational tool. And, you know, when you meet a real estate agent, here's why you do this. Um, you, don't, you don't necessarily need to go out and meet an agent and write something that first weekend. There's many times where Chris and I have met somebody, we work with them for two, three, four years, and, and then they go out and they buy something or sell something. And it might be working on credit. It might be working on, you know, positioning them to be a better buyer. It might be deposit. Yeah, like Chris is saying, maybe more money down, whatever it might be. But it, that that's why you want to find an agent, a long-term play in real estate, 
and not just a short-term player that's trying to make quick money. I mean, my God, Chris, did you did you read the stats? Last month, we had the highest um, count of agents ever in the history of real estate. We have 1.46 million real estate agents in the industry trying to sell 6 million houses. <laughs> that, that's crazy to me. Let's uh, answer a couple of questions here. We actually got a lot of comments. Um, look at this one. Conspiracy was good in the, the thumbnail, the title. Um, they like Rooney's rants. We got Greg, loyal listener. What has the bigger payback, interior improvements or exterior improvements? It's, tip, it's typically interior, but uh, it's hard to get past some exterior stuff when it's your first impression. But I would, uh, I would probably, you know, Let's just say rather than putting on uh, vinyl siding, I would paint the siding uh, versus changing the kitchen cabinets. I would change the kitchen cabinets before I would do the vinyl siding. Well, you know, Chris and I have talked about this too, where people stop at the curb, where, you know, the if you don't have the right curb appeal, there there is a, uh, a pull up and go, nah, I don't, I'm not, this isn't something I'd be proud of, so let's move on. And so you do want to make that curb appeal, add some fresh flowers up front, with a very little minimal investment, make the curb appeal, um, keep people coming in to appreciate where you've made the investment, which is maybe on the inside of the house. Andy's meat can't get cold. What is Noel? <laughs> oh, the barbecue. I think you're talking about the barbecue. Oh, um. What? Uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> if you sell if you sell property to a family member well below market price is that considered gifting by the irs yeah there's there's a certain threshold on that for sure you can't uh sneak it off to a a, a family member um and, and try to get past uh our our wonderful little government so uh i don't know what it exactly is but yeah you can't uh you can't go crazy on that for sure are radon filtration systems required in new construction? Well, radon, there's not a filtration system as much as um, a passive system or, or an active system. And so the passive system, which is basically, they put down like a, a plastic sheet below the concrete they so that all any gases that could creep up through the, the ground, um, it's captured, put into um, your tank, and then they, they have it where it'll naturally migrate out from underneath the foundation um, up the, uh, the, uh, there's basically a pipe, if you will, when you go to active, all they do is they throw a fan in that same pipe. Um, but it, it can create a siphoning effect. You gotta be a little careful. Um, the, uh, when the, um, that fan is running all the time, it creates well, almost like wicking. And we find that some people that have that also have additional, um, water challenges that they haven't had. And it doesn't happen overnight. It'll happen over 30 or 60 days where that foundation is concrete, you know, blowing the, the gas it, it out of that foundation. So if it's sealed correctly, it creates a wicked effect. You can have water. You gotta be careful. Hey, if you're watching right now, if you could give us a little thumbs up or a like, we'd really appreciate it. It helps us out to get us to more people. Um, Noel said he had to take his meat off the grill. Yes. Oh and yeah. When he was getting phone calls, that's what it was. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And then Greg, got <laughs> one more. Is Andy on Lake Ida? He said. Yes. Yep. Okay, and Chris, I know you got some things coming up. I got some photos here from you. Oh, a couple of new listings coming on. Hey, there's an a great example right there. 
I just went past it the other day and we trimmed up those trees. You could barely see that house the other day. And just by trimming up some branches, uh, look at how much that opens up. But that house is amazing in Credit River right there. This, this is the way this I one you. Here's one for you, Andy. Look at this one. I just took a picture out the window. Not a bad little view, huh? Oh, you've got, you've got a fantastic out there, Chris. What's that? You're, I love your house. You're, you have a fantastic. Oh, this, isn't, this isn't mine. This is one right down the street. And look at this thing. I mean, it's a, a yard is freaking, it's an Andy Prasky yard on the lake. Wow. Yeah. This is my, I'm giving fatherly advice with the sun behind me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> I was trying. To, I was going to try to give you guys a little uh, tour around the, without my big head in there. But How big yeah, is Lake Ida? We're up in Little Ida Bay. Look at all the mess on the pontoon. Sorry about that. No, it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's the calmest I've ever seen this lake. Like glass up here today, really nice. Not I, up. I went. I went out in my boat. I went out in my boat the other day. Yeah. And it was it was pretty windy, and there's people on the on the lake. It took me six tries to get into my lift. Six. You know, you know, what my mother-in-law does. She just goes harder. <laughs> I was gonna do it. I was like, I'm done. I'm gonna break this thing. I don't care. Yeah. I'm gonna get when in you're, there. You're up in the cabin and you see this nice boat lift. And all of a sudden, it goes boom. boom. <laughs> the canopy shakes. We're boat harder. Totally. Yeah. Well, fun. Yeah. Are you on the ocean, Nick? No, I was yesterday uh, via Reggio, the not the Adriatic, the other side of Italy. It was like the waves were like this. I got yelled at by the the lifeguard for swimming too far out because a lot of people die, I guess, when the waves were that high. Do you so, know Minnesota? Yeah, I told my group on Lake, so he didn't he didn't really care for that. But then uh, this weekend, I'm going back to Venice with my my buddy visiting, and it's hot though in Italy, very hot, but lots of Americans. We're starting to see because they're letting vaccinated people come here and not quarantine. It's quite interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. They won't. They don't quarantine them as long as they're vaccinated. Look at this, Chris and Andy live from Italy. Make it happen. When are you guys coming? Oh my God, that would be fun. Uh, I'll meet you there, Andy. I'll start um, putting some photos in here of my little adventures. I got some good ones. I did take some. Hey, Andy, you saw that photo I took for you? You said yeah. last week to make sure to take photos. It was on the Facebook. Oh, nice. Good. You liked it. I, what was it? I Me and uh, the girl I was talking about on air. She's very pretty. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that was fun. I, I we Us old guys appreciate that. <laughs> oh, Perfect. Great. Well, make sure uh, to share. Leave a review on iTunes. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, um, anchors are our, our RSS feed. It blasts out to a bunch of different places. Um, we appreciate all the comments, the likes, and uh, have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.